chair staff is ready when you are. All right, let's go ahead and call this meeting of the Law and Legislation Committee to order. Uh, please call the roll to establish a quorum. Thank you, Councilmember Guetta. Here. Vice Chair Harris. Here. Councilmember Valenzuela. Here. And Chair Chenier. I am here. Uh, let's go ahead and do the land acknowledgement and pledge, uh, Ms. Valenzuela, in your usual role on this committee. If you could lead us, that would be terrific. Happy to, Chair. Thank you. Please rise for the opening acknowledgement in honor of Sacramento's indigenous people and tribal lands to the original people of this land, the Nisenan people, the Southern Maidu, Valley and Plains Miwok, Putwin Wintun peoples, and the people of the Wilton Rancheria, Sacramento's only federally recognized tribe. May we acknowledge and honor the native people who came before us and still walk beside us today on these ancestral lands by choosing to gather today in the active practice of acknowledgement and appreciation for Sacramento's indigenous people's history, contributions, and lives. Thank you. Now please remain standing for the pledge, salute, and I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the Republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Jack. Great. Thank you, Councilwoman. Appreciate that. Uh, let's go ahead to the consent calendar and see if we have any uh, comments, questions, motions. So moved, Chair. Second. Okay, I have a motion and a second. Go, let's go ahead and call the roll on that one as well. Thank you, Chair. For the record, I have no hands raised to make public comment on the consent calendar. Councilmember Guerra? Aye. Vice Chair Harris? Aye. Councilmember Valenzuela? Yes. And Chair Chenier? Aye. Great. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to our discussion calendar. We have one item today on site water reuse and dual plumbing study. Um, Yvette, are you leading us off or Bill? Uh, I'll go ahead and kick it off. Um, thank you, Chair Chenier. And um, members of the Lawn Ledge Committee. My name is Bill Busey, Director of the Utilities Department. Our team is going to share with you the results of the on-site on water reuse and dual plumbing study, and then share our preliminary recommendations. This effort has been a team effort between DOU, the Department of Utilities, and the CDD. We look forward to receiving direction from you uh, on our staff recommendations. As you may recall, um, on June 1st, 2022, City Council directed staff to evaluate the feasibility of dual plumbing for commercial buildings as an opportunity to conserve water and create jobs. With the electrification ordinance becoming effective January 1st, 2023, it's, ex it's expected that over time, uh, the plumber and gas uh, pipe fitters will experience job losses. The purpose of the dual plumbing study is to determine the feasibility of these dual plumbing systems in buildings, as well as the opportunity to make up some of the job losses from the electrification ordinance. This study was initiated in January of this year, and Yvette Rincon will take you through the key findings of the feasibility study, and then Matt Hertel will present staff recommendations. Yvette? Hello, council, mem council members. My name is Yvette Rincon. I'm the Chief of Staff to the Director of Utilities. I'm joined this afternoon by Matt Hertel, Long Range Planning Manager, Laura Tuller, Associate Planner, and various members of our consultant team. 
Um, <clears throat> I will say that this is a new programmatic area for the city, and luckily it's been a team effort between DOU and CDD. Uh, together, we've learned a tremendous amount over the last nine months, and we continue to learn more every day. We've broken out the work for on-site water reuse and dual plumbing into two phases, and the reason for this was to try to move more quickly to getting something in place parallel to the electrification ordinance. Phase one includes completing the dual plumbing feasibility study and bringing forward an initial staff recommendation for an ordinance, which we are doing today. Uh, phase two includes completing a study of the treatment requirements for on-site systems, which will come as a result of SB 966, as well as studying various program administration roles and whether additional resources are needed to implement this portion of the program. Um, during this phase, we can also evaluate other aspects of the program, such as potential water and cost savings, as well as any program revisions that we may want to make after this, after phase one is in place. So what is dual plumbing? Um, it's the system of plumbing to supply both potable and non-potable water to a building. The most common reuses of non-potable <clears throat> water are for irrigation, as well as toilet and urinal flushing. On-site treatment is required for indoor end uses of gray and black water. Um, here is a graphic that is helpful in demonstrating the various sources of water for reuse. Um, some sources of black water include water from toilets, um, kitchen sinks, and dishwashers. Uh, sources for gray water include uh, water from hand washing sinks, clothes washers, and showers and bathtubs. Other sources of water reuse include rainwater, stormwater, foundation drainage, and condensate. So on-site water reuse systems capture rainwater, gray water, and or black water, treat it on-site through an extensive process, uh, and then pump it back to toilets and urinals for flushing or outside for drip, for drip irrigation. So we initiated the dual plumbing feasibility study in January of this year. Uh, we hoped to get it kicked off sooner. However, we lost our sustainability manager in October and, uh, of last year, and that set us back about a month or so. The focus of the study was the feasibility of dual plumbing in commercial buildings of 100,000 square foot or larger. We intentionally did not include residential uh, buildings because of the challenges we are having with housing shortages and costs. The study included the following components economic, regulatory, technical, a market assessment, and case studies. Um, first, I'll go over the finding, key findings on the economic impacts. So our consultant provided a cost model based on 17 commercial buildings constructed in California within the last five years. The buildings ranged between 8,000 to 270,000 square feet. Um, construction costs were adjusted for Sacramento using local indices and escalated to $2022. The data shows that the average cost to install dual plumbing is $2.88 per square foot. This solely is the cost for dual plumbing. It does not include the costs for treatment or ongoing operations. You will see that there is significant variability in the cost per square foot, um, and this is due largely to fixture density, meaning the more plumbing fixtures in a building, the higher the cost. We also looked at the percent increase to total project costs for installing dual plumbing. Here, the data shows that there is a 0.34% increase in total project costs to install dual plumbing. <clears throat> we found that the data on treatment and operations and maintenance costs are not readily available. 
We were able to get some information from San Francisco, which indicates these costs vary widely depending on plumbing fixture density, water source, and reuse. The costs of treatment and operations and maintenance will be examined during phase two, um, and SB 966 regulations will inform this work. So we also looked at program administration, meaning the roles and responsibilities um, should we implement a program. Um, additional staffing resources may be needed for DOU for initial setup and ongoing admin of the program. Um, this really depends on the direction we, we receive um, today from Law and Ledge and ultimately from Council. Under the initial staff recommendation, we don't expect the need for additional resources. However, I will note that there is an unknown with the upcoming SB 966 state regulations and whether we will be required to take on additional roles and responsibilities as a result of that process. The way San Francisco's program is structured informed our, our proposed structure. The table here shows various city departments, roles and responsibilities, as well as a significant role for the county. Again, should state regulations require new permitting and oversight, our hope is that the county can take on these roles similar to the San Francisco program. So on the, we have two main findings on the regulatory side. One is that the current plumbing code allows for the installation of rainwater and gray water reuse systems. Um, and two, um, SB 966 upcoming regulations. So SB 966 was signed into law in 2018 and requires the state water board on or before December 1st of 2022 to adopt regulations for on-site treatment and water reuse in buildings. The state water board staff have indicated to us that draft regulations will be released on August 1st. The challenges this presents for us is that of course, the unknown of what these regulations may require of our program should we move forward and the timing of when these regulations are adopted. The state's intent is to have them adopted by December 1st, um, however, there may be, they may be delayed. Uh, finally, should the regulations identify a significant role for the county in terms of permitting and water quality oversight of these systems, similar to San Francisco's program, we would have to wait for the county to get their systems in place before we could move our program forward. So on testing and inspection requirements, we would require regular cross-connection con testing to protect our potable water system. Um, public notification, similar to the sign here, is currently required. And finally, ongoing water quality testing is expected to be required per SB 966. Uh, black water systems will likely require daily testing um, with gray water and ra rainwater requiring less frequent testing. We also did a market assessment to get an idea of program volume that we might expect. Um, we found that between 2010 and 2022, only 13 commercial buildings of 100,000 square foot or larger were built, and 14 commercial buildings of 100,000 square foot or larger had received planning entitlements, so not a significant amount of buildings. This table shows a breakdown by building type of the 14 planned commercial developments. <clears throat> the first four building types would be included in a potential dual plumbing ordinance per our preliminary recommendation. We are recommending excluding warehouses given the low opportunity for water conservation, reuse and conservation. So finally, the study uh, included three case studies. I wanted to share some key findings from San Francisco's program. 
Uh, we've learned a lot from their program and their staff, and we understand that the state is likely going to base the SB 966 regulations on San Francisco's program. So just quickly, San Francisco's program has been in place for over 10 years, starting with a voluntary program and evolving into a mandated program over time, with the County Environmental Health Department playing a key role in reviewing engineering reports, issuing permits to operate, and overseeing water quality testing. So this concludes my portion of the presentation. I will now hand it over to Matt to go over our staff recommendation. Terrific, thank you, Yvette. Good afternoon, Chair and members of the committee. Matt Hurdle, Principal Planner in Community Development. Staff have developed preliminary recommendations, which are included in attachment two of the staff report. These preliminary recommendations have been informed by the study, review of legislation and regulatory documents, site visits, and conversations with stakeholders such as plumbers and pipe fitters and commercial developers. These recommendations balance the need for sustainability and resiliency in our water system and for a just transition of jobs as we move to all electric new buildings. And the timing of a recommended approach aligns with the upcoming state regulations for on-site water reuse. Staff recommends a two-phased approach for implementation of a dual plumbing ordinance and on-site water reuse treatment requirements. The first phase contemplates requiring dual plumbing in certain new buildings to reuse gray water as currently permitted under the California Plumbing Code. The second phase contemplates on-site water reuse treatment requirements. As a note, since these phase one preliminary recommendations are already permitted under the California Plumbing Code, Developers and contractors can voluntarily install these systems now. Although not currently common, an example of this is the architectural nexus building at 9th and R. The preliminary recommendations before you today contemplate a mandate for certain new commercial buildings to install dual plumbing. Phase one requirements focus on the reuse of gray water. On-site reuse of gray water requires treatment for indoor end uses, which are toilet and urinal flushing. Treatment is not required for outdoor drip irrigation, but the water conservation potential is significantly reduced without indoor end uses since new commercial non-residential development does not typically have significant landscape irrigation needs. Staff does not recommend requiring rainwater collection reuse at this time due to the lack of consistent rainfall and the additional cost of installing and maintaining rain catchment systems. The parameters of the study were to look at dual plumbing requirements in new non-residential commercial buildings of 100,000 square feet or greater. New multi-unit residential buildings were not included in the study due to the current housing shortage and rising housing costs and not wanting to add additional cost or regulation to the housing at this time. The potential water conservation benefit for residential buildings is also lower. Up to 50% of demands are non-potable in multi-unit residential buildings and up to 95% of demands are non-potable in commercial buildings. Staff's preliminary recommendations exclude low fixture density buildings, such as warehouses, due to their reduced potential for water conservation and anticipated inability to recover costs through reduced water usage. Staff recommends bringing forward an ordinance to this committee within six months of the effective date of SB 966, which is anticipated for December 1st of this year. This will allow staff adequate time to ensure that dual plumbing ordinance is consistent with the requirements of SB 966 and the 2022 California Plumbing Code, as well as provide uh, time for additional stakeholder outreach as we move forward. 
The effective date of the dual plumbing requirement is at the discretion of council, but at a minimum, the effective date would need to be 30 days after city council adoption of a dual plumbing ordinance. Commercial retail, office, hotel, motel, and industrial building types of 100,000 square feet or greater would be included in a potential dual plumbing ordinance. The table on this slide reflects the 14 projects in the city's pipeline that have received their planning entitlements, but have not yet applied for building permits. As shown here, 12 of the 14 projects in the pipeline would be subject to the potential dual plumbing ordinance. After regulations per SB 966 take effect and permitting agencies are established, the city could incorporate these standards to require that certain buildings collect, treat, and reuse gray water, rainwater, and black water on site. The Department of Utilities plans to initiate an on-site water treatment feasibility study in 2023 to determine operational needs of establishing an on-site water use program in the city of Sacramento. Staff recommends phase two requirements go into effect on January 1, 2026 to align with the 2025 California Plumbing Code and the new building electrification ordinance effective date for new buildings of four stories or more. This concludes our presentation. Staff seeks direction from this committee about criteria and timeline for a potential dual plumbing ordinance. Team is available to respond to any questions you may have. Thank you very much. Great, thanks, Matt. Thanks, Yvette. Um, let's go ahead, uh, Madam Clerk, do we have any public comments on this item? Yes, Chair, I have two hands raised. The first is Daphne. Thank you, staff, for the report that you just provided. I am looking for additional information concerning um, using black water. And I heard him mention that it would not be used in residential environment. But when we do subdivision, the properties are considered commercial prior to being converted to residential. So I'm interested in understanding how those systems would be separated and how they would reflow into the main process. I know that some cities have dual uh, processing plants wanting to understand what type of chemicals are gonna be used on the black and gray water in order for them to be used in alternate sources. And is that gonna be spelled out to the community? And I'd also like to see the report that was provided available to uh, the public. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker is Megan. Oh, sorry, that's my wife's name. Uh, my name is Paul Trudeau. Uh, I'm a longtime resident of District 4, uh, member of 350 Sacramento, and uh, chair of Sacramento DSA's Labor Committee. Uh, I'm also self-employed as a handyman and have installed a few gray water systems myself, um, residential. I appreciate staff's work to date, and I learned a lot from the report. Um, my understanding from uh, the plumbers union UA 447 is uh, that the timeline is lagging electrification and I don't think there should be any delay beyond what we're doing with building electrification. Um, I think phase one should include residential properties. Uh, uh, Sacramento has a lot of yard area. Um, Sa San Francisco does not. Um, and so I think the water savings there are, shouldn't be dismissed out of hand. Um, also, the housing costs, I don't, I don't think we should dismiss residential um, out of hand due to housing affordability crisis. Um, the costs that you indicated in your report for installing dual plumbing seemed pretty minimal, and it didn't even uh, take into account the 
savings from electrification. So I, um, I think we should consider residential. Um, in my experience, the maintenance of uh, gray water systems for irrigation is, is minimal. I know that's a question mark in your report, uh, but I think we should go forward with that. Thank you. Thanks very much. Um, Madam Clerk, is that it on public comment? No, our final speaker is Kate Wilkins. Okay. Hello, committee. This is uh, Kate Wilkins with 350 Sacramento. I was calling to echo the concerns uh, that Paul just talked about, that um, Rosie Jacob in the e-comments and that UA447 is raised to the city staff and the mayor. Um, the timing of this proposed ordinance is off. It's not really providing a perfectly just transition uh, if it's taking effect later um, than the uh, new building electrification ordinance. Um, and to also echo what Paul said, you know, we're not San Francisco. The fact that there's only been 13 of the over 100 square, 100,000 square foot buildings built in the last 12 years and about 12 in the docket now um, is not going to provide enough job opportunities. So I believe, you know, the ordinance should be expanded and the square footage threshold be lowered. Uh, also to echo um, UA447 and Paul on, I understand the concerns about residential construction costs, but think residential should definitely be considered uh, given the fact that the city is very residential heavy and there's lots of, you know, un unused large lawns that aren't public parks or things of that nature. So uh, thank you so much. I'll ask the same question again. Are we... Is that it for public comment? That is that is it. I have no more speakers. Okay, great. Uh, let, let me, before we get started with the committee, just ask, uh, I don't know if it's maybe an alignment between the two initiatives. Chair, you, you broke up. I'm not sure they heard your question. I'm sorry, Matt. Every time I get to you, I get internet <laughs> unstable. I'm not sure what the connection is here. But but if you could address the timing question between the two initiatives, I think that would be helpful. Sure. Yeah, absolutely, Chair. So in terms of the direction, you know, staff received for the new building electrification ordinance in June 2021. So obviously we pivoted pretty quickly. The new building electrification goes into effect, obviously, in two phases for three stories or less in 2023, and then four stories or more in 2026. Um, you know, I would note the construction of these new new electrification buildings will also be probably two to three years after they pull permits, right, in terms of staggered. So we do have a little bit of time before you see these buildings going vertical. Uh, in terms of, you know, we were, were tasked with taking a look at this uh, and trying to see how we could align something. And, you know, this is what we've come back with. As noted in the presentation, you know, uh, San Francisco has been working on this for, for 12 years. And they've studied it extensively, uh, started with a voluntary program, had a $250,000 threshold and moved from there. In addition, they have a fee incentive structure set up in terms of re reductions in certain stormwater, uh, water fees, uh, reductions in impact fees. There are things like that, that we would really want to take a look at in phase two uh, to really align, you know, full um, robust program. All right, thanks. Let's, let's go ahead to the committee. I think Mr. Gary, you had your hand up first and then Ms. Valenzuela and then Mr. Harris. No, uh, Mr. Chair, you answered the question there. I mean, you asked the question, my first question there. And uh, I guess my-, my uh, It's my experience, Eric. <laughs> well, my first feeling there is that, is if, you know, if, if the state's likely to, to go the direction of San Francisco, then 
we already have a pretty good assessment of, of the direction we're going or the rest of the direction the state is going. So I, I feel like that, that, the, the, that there may be much more information out there for us than, than just waiting for the state to respond. Because frankly, as, as, as has had happened in the past, um, the regulatory process might even take even longer after that as well. So uh, we're, we could look, be looking at, at implementation you know, beyond 2026. So those, those concerns about timing uh, are critical. Uh, particularly if it's going to mean job losses here locally for many of our uh, of our workers. Uh, the bigger, I think, point here is is we're facing a uh, third year drought, probably the hundred year worst record of of uh, of uh, the uh, worst winters that we've had, where we have we've had no no precipitation, and so just uh, the outlook isn't positive. And I I just I think this is a for us from a necessity standpoint of where we are on water conservation, water efficiency, um, uh, things don't seem to be getting better. Our drought conditions seem to be getting worse. So uh, I think that that's a big uh, uh, guiding point for us as we develop the policy as well. Uh, the other piece I, I maybe question here for uh, Matt or whoever can answer is, um, you looked at, 100, uh, at buildings at 100,000 square feet. Did you look at what it would be for, say, 75,000 square feet, 50,000 square feet? Uh, I'm thinking about, you know, um, a, your average uh, commercial space around the area is probably more around 50,000 square feet. So, yeah, and usually when, I, when you look at, I mean, obviously every type of different commercial space has different water uses. The uh, restrooms being probably the, the, the common largest uh, type of space but you know uh, uh, kitchens and dishwashing depending you know for real for restaurants or for more you know laundry for other other facilities that have to do much more of that but what what's it what's it look like when we look at 50,000 and 75,000 uh, thank you councilmember Gare. I appreciate your question about that uh, from the onset you know parameters of the study were you know 100,000 square feet as discussed with local 447 and other stakeholders uh, really, because at that time, San Francisco was actually requiring 250,000 square feet or more. And so they were, you know, we felt that they were moving to that 100,000 square feet. And, you know, we agreed to look at that threshold. Uh, and so now, yes, in place is for 100,000 square feet for San Francisco. You know, obviously, per direction of, of the committee today, we can certainly look at a lower threshold. You know, I think that uh, San Francisco um, has found that, you know, really trying to find that sweet spot that, you know, that smaller buildings have a longer return on investment. So we're looking at, you know, anecdotally in San Francisco, uh, working, talking to an operator, they're, they're talking about for full system, they're trying to get to uh, a return on investment of seven years. So the cost to install it based on San Francisco's uh, fee reduction programs that are in place that we do not have in place yet, uh, they're looking at trying to, you know, get those costs back in seven years. So obviously there's, there's more of a challenge in terms of economy scales with a smaller square footage uh, building. So, but per direction law ledge, we can certainly look at what that would mean in terms of projects coming down our pipeline for th uh, lower size thresholds like 50,000 square feet, for example. Thank you, Matt. I think that that's the first, I think we, let's, we should get that information on where, uh, how much does that break down? You know, does does fifty thousand square feet? Uh, you know, does that bring in um, a number of opportunities there? Maybe the sweet spot is seventy five thousand um, as well. 
So, uh, and then uh, the other question I have is, I know we looked at San Francisco, but I mean, there, there must be other cities that have, a, you know, that have had this challenge um, in other parts of the state or even uh, area countries where we could learn from. Is there, are, have there been other places where we've pursued how other cities have uh, approached their water challenges? Yes, thank you for the question. Uh, our study commission, um, like, and prepared by Kennedy Jenks, looked at Santa Monica, also looked at um, Hawaii. Uh, you know, in terms of uh, California, San Francisco is really that that leader, and the state is looking to potentially mimic a lot of the requirements that they've already put in place uh, since they're the city and county. I'm happy, you know, it offer from our consultant team or someone else on the call if they want to provide other examples uh, to the committee. Thank you, Mr. Chair. That's all I have at the moment. Okay, Ms. Valenzuela. Thank you, Chair. And I first really, and I know I did this when we had our call yesterday, team, but publicly want to applaud the city team for jumping into this with both feet. I think to Councilmember Garris and Mayor Tim Garris' question, you know, this resolution that um, I presented on electrification that we adopted is really the first of its kind. Um, no city is really looking at new and existing and just transition and water in this way. And so with that comes a lot of challenges and new territory. And I'm really proud that the city team has taken it to this point. Point, but I also have just a lot of questions. And I think my hope for this policy was not that it would be kind of hypothetical, but be more based on a numerical analysis of our buildings. Something that impacts 13 buildings, for example, is probably not going to generate the type of either water savings or job opportunity that we were hoping for. And that the intent of this was really to, to create um, I'm really looking at something that was an analysis on the return of investment, the size of the buildings, you know, the building stock in Sacramento, the fee reduction programs or incentives that we don't have yet, how that would factor in to cost impacts, and then overall how this would compare to job impacts, preferably creating some job growth, which would be great um, for our trades, but, you know, in general, was hoping for more of an open process, because I think what Sacramento we are a very different place than San Francisco for a lot of reasons, um, and not least of which comes to cost of construction, but also when it comes to the type of buildings and the type of spaces where this would play out. And these building standards are not done yet, as was said. So I think we have the option of either being more passive in terms of waiting for those building standards to finish and seeing how they apply to Sacramento or being more in a leadership role with those building standards and presenting an idea that could help influence not just what the state does in general, but help create a path for cities like Bakersfield and Fresno and, and other cities that are similarly sized to Sacramento who might be interested in looking at this policy as well. And so um, I have a real issue with 100,000 square feet, only commercial buildings. I understand the rationale that was presented here, but I think rather than get into the tit for tat, because I think um, this study gave us a lot of information, over 200 pages of it, but um, it it's still, I have a lot of questions. And so what I'd like to recommend in terms of direction, I'd like to hear what the committee has to say. I'd like to get our stakeholder group together, especially local 447, and come back to us maybe at our next month meeting with a recommended path forward here. Because what I'm hearing from stakeholders is that they're still feeling like they 
maybe weren't as engaged as they hoped they were being. I was talking to a lot of folks last night and today. They have ideas. They'd like to be more helpful. They'd like for us to consult more folks. And I think that maybe we're missing an opportunity to push a little bit further and to have a policy that results in the outcome that the council wanted, which was a real job strategy, a real water saving strategy. Um, one thing, for example, just by looking at new, a lot of the conversation on a on electrification has also involved existing buildings. There's a lot we could say when it comes to retrofitting existing buildings and what a strategy would look like for that. This is very much the conversation at the Capitol right now is a lot about whole home retrofits, whole building retrofits, whole neighborhood retrofits, which would help reduce energy and water consumption, help reduce costs and improve resiliency of these neighborhoods, right? So I think there's a whole lens here that we're missing in this analysis and don't want to discount at all the work that's been done because I think what's been done here is really robust and really impressive. I just think we're missing a piece of this equation that we need to really move the agenda forward in a way that I think we're capable of doing as a city. So my recommendation to reiterate is that we reconvene our stakeholder group, particularly labor. We step back for just a minute, reevaluate what a path forward might look like that achieves all of these goals and come back to Law and Ledge maybe next month if possible or as soon as possible, really, so that we can continue this conversation and move forward at the pace that our climate change crisis demands. So that's my recommendation and request. Okay, great. Thank you. Mr. Harris. Yeah, Matt, I have a couple of questions. Um, first, as regards my, my colleagues' comments, it seems to me that there are so many decision points in this equation. We don't have all the information we need, I think, at this juncture to build an ordinance that will be effective uh, in terms of either meeting water conservation goals job replacement goals. Uh, fr from, from reading the, um, the report, correct me if I'm wrong, but to reuse gray water inside the building, say for flushing toilets, I believe you said it would have to have some treatment before it goes back in the building, and that the greatest water savings would be if we used it back inside the building. So, uh, but, but, you know, of course, there wasn't a, a, a big discussion about residential uses, but I assume that the same parameters would apply to residential uses, that the greatest water benefits would be reuse inside the building. Uh, so, and, and that requires treatment. And there's total unknowns about costs of treatment or how to engage that. So I find myself thinking, why would we require people to put in dual plumbing unless we knew the actual end use and what we were driving for? Uh, you know, certainly there would be some efficiency to use gray water on landscape, probably more in the residential capacity than the commercial capacity, because as you say, they don't do extensive landscaping, generally speaking. But it's also tied to the use of the building. For instance, a lot of commercial buildings are built to use substantial electricity and were never intended to be plumbed with gas anyway. So requiring them to do dual plumbing is is uh, it seems nonsensical to me. The, the point I'm trying to make here is until we know the final results of SB 966 and what is gonna be required for treatment systems, we really don't have the capacity to understand which buildings would benefit the most from this kind of recycling. Uh, and I think that we need to know these things, especially if we're going to say that uh, we want all residential use buildings to be dual plumb, which it sounds like we would get great efficiencies by doing, we certainly have to solve the treatment 
situation first. Do you, do you kind of agree with that narrative, Matt? Yeah, appreciate your, your comments, uh, council member. So you're right. I mean, there's a, there's different considerations for different uh, end use sources and end uses. So um, for residential irrigation, uh, drip irrigation would be kind of that, that appropriate use, the highest use. Um, but for treating inside buildings for flushing the toilets, and you do need to treat it. At a minimum, you have to screen it out for any solids, which you know are quite, quite a bit, and you have to treat it for odor and other minimum requirements. We don't really have a good, uh, San Francisco has those in place that they've set, set up, but we're looking to the state to put those requirements in place. And then also, you know, we do have challenges because we don't have a, a Department of Health here in the city of Sacramento. So we have to coordinate um, very closely with our friends at the county um, to help set up a program to make sure that we're meeting those requirements and the treatment requirements or even gray water at this point, San Francisco has um, requirements for a third party to treat that water or to, I'm sorry, to test that water to make sure it's meet minimum standards. For black water, it's every day, including uh, weekends. So there is some considerations um, for uh, treatment. So really trying to find that balance. And I really appreciate all the comments, you know, about trying to move quickly and aggressively. I mean, as a reminder, we started this only six months ago. And I think what we've been able to accomplish in those six months is quite a bit uh, to understand and learn, especially since this is out of the, you know, outside the programmatic work of the city to date. Um, but, you know, we have more to learn and we, you know, need to understand what the state's going to be doing. And we can certainly gather more information, happy to, to meet with the stakeholders. We've been meeting with them throughout this process and share preliminary results along the way. Happy to do so again and come up with some creative solutions that find that balance. Yeah, so I appreciate all that, Matt. And, you know, frankly, untreated gray water put into a drip system will plug it in a heartbeat because those emitters are tiny. And uh, th that's another consideration that you could dual plumb a, a place, try to use the groundwater untreated, put it in a irrigation system and plug it immediately. So, you, you know, there's, there's a lot of considerations here. I, I think that we're not quite ready yet, although I would like to certainly tie it to the electrification ordinance. I don't think it's ready myself. I think there's a lot more discovery to be had and certainly a lot of analysis about how this can be incorporated into dwelling units because that's really where there will be a lot more work because it's really plumbing fixture dependent and the plumbing fixtures are gonna be in residential units, the, yeah, at least the concentration of them. Um, so, you know, I think that we need to go down that road in analysis. I, I think you have done a tremendous amount in a short time, but to be able to effectively institute an ordinance and compel builders to put in a dual plumbing system, uh, we're not quite there. Not until we know about 966, not until we know about treatment costs. And of course, Blackwater is a whole different issue. <laughs> we, we just spent $2 billion on a waste treatment plant and the idea of doing black water recycling on site is uh, very expensive, requires a lot of oversight, a lot of testing, could get extremely expensive. So that, that is another conversation in and of itself. At this point, you know, I, I have no problem with talking more with stakeholders to uh, really explore these issues. And also there's not been a real analysis to date that I'm aware of of how many jobs might be lost by the electrification ordinance. You know, what we're trying to make up here and what dual plumbing can actually achieve in, in terms of job replacement. Those are numbers that I think are also very important. Uh, you know, I think what we should do is 
shelve this discussion, meet with stakeholders, certainly keep the conversation going. But in terms of instituting an ordinance that would mirror uh, the electrification ordinance, we just don't have the information and we certainly won't until we know exactly what 966 is going to require and the kind of costs that it will generate and also the kind of jobs it will generate. So those are my comments. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, thank you Mr. Harris. Ms. Val, uh, Mr. Aguirre. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chair. Yeah, on top of that, I think, you know, getting a better understanding of the diversity of commercial and, you know, industrial or commercial facilities or even the type of all types of facilities, the, the percentage of fixtures and what, what uh, you know, what does that mean? I mean, we, the, we may find that there are certain uh, commercial buildings that uh, or uh, types of buildings that are best bang, big, biggest bang for a buck. Uh, I think staff already put in recognized that warehouses are probably the least because they have one one restroom for a large amount of square footage. So um, I th I think understanding that that uh, you know and I in just in prepping for this meeting I looked up the uh, US EPA understanding of of what they what they had publicly uh, and there's such a diversity in the type of usage. Um, uh, so I, I'd like to actually see that in our conversation is what uh, where what type of buildings are the biggest bang for our buck, um, and then the other question that I had this is a little little more tangent but I recall we had a rebate program um, for uh, for homeowners who wanted to uh, install uh, uh, their a washer diversion uh, uh, you know valve. To be able to use their their washer uh, their washers and 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 put that gray water back into their you know back lawn or front lawn or whatnot, do we still maintain those type of programs? As is that still going on? Uh, do we provide assistance for that as well? Um, you know, Bill, I see you popped up. Yeah, I know we did at one time as kind of a pilot, but to be honest with you, uh, council member, I'm not sure where we are on that. We'd have to. I'd have to do a little digging and get back, unless Yvette uh, knows the answer to that off the top of her head. Yeah. And if I recall, as someone you know responds, I I remember it was it was quite cumbersome. So if someone wanted to do it at their house, um, and and uh, you think about how much you know once you have a couple kids, how much laundry you're doing, um, you know that it was it was pretty cumbersome. There wasn't a lot of assistance for um, for folks as much as we do on the irrigation side. I think we've the city's uh, department of utilities done a, an immense amount on the irrigation side and providing both like assistance for landscaping design to the actual um, the equipment uh, to the rebates of removing uh, grass as well. So I think there's there's multiple benefits uh, if we looked at that on that rebate side. Uh, the last thing I'd like to ask staff is also to come back with uh, a better understanding of how the fee uh, deferral program in San Francisco worked and or other cities and and see if also that helps with an incentive because uh, it's not going to be an easy move either so I'd like to look at okay what how are the fee deferral programs uh, effective and and to what extent um, could this could the city take that on because if we do fee deferrals there's also a cost to the city on that uh, and with that thank you Mr. Chair I agree uh, we got to have more conversation here with our stakeholders okay Mr. Garrett I'm um, sorry Mr. Harris you're, you're muted, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Matt, uh, question. Uh, I forgot to ask it when I was speaking. 
Do you think there's any way we could get a volunteer to do a test case on a multi-unit dwelling building, you know, an apartment house, so that we can really figure out uh, the reality of dealing with dwelling units in, in terms of uh, dual plumbing? You know, and that, that's an approach that a lot of jurisdictions are taking a look at in terms of a voluntary or pilot program where you offer some level of incentive and you work with the, the developer and contractor to set that up. I mean, I certainly, I think, you know, obviously the biggest consideration is going to be what the initial construction costs increase, but also what the long-term operation and maintenance costs, which aren't factored into, you know, this, this $2.88 per square foot. So if right. we're able to set something up, and I think that's great direction, um, uh, Council Margera provided in terms of really diving into what the possibilities are around the fees. Now, I know that need, that would require a nexus study that DOU would need to initiate to understand, you know, uh, for any you know, water conservation measures like reusing gray water, you know, what what uh, less burden would that be on the system with stormwater and water system and impact fees. So though that is envisioned for phase two of the study that DOU would be leading in terms of what it would look like for us. But certainly looking at a voluntary uh, incentive uh, type pilot program uh, would be one direction we could take. And I also just wanted to note one thing in terms of residential that we didn't uh, really highlight. Uh, you know, right currently uh, only drip irrigation is allowed for gray water. So no spare irrigation for, for lawns, for example, would be even allowed for gray water. You can only do it for, you know, drought tolerant kind of drip situations. So lawns wouldn't, wouldn't be, a, a, you know, a possibility for that. Well, that's an important piece of information. I think, you know, with dual plumbing and being having irrigation be the only end use at this point without treatment, that's an also a very important piece of the discussion. So I think you've got a lot of direction moving forward about questions that need to be answered. Uh, I would love for community development to offer some kind of incentive to a builder to do a test case in a residential situation. I think that it would solve really a lot of a, a lot of these questions for us. Maybe it's already been done in other jurisdictions. So uh, that's something to look at as well. Thank you, Jay. Great. Uh, Ms. Valenzuela. Thanks, Chair. I um, wanted to circle back because I think I want to stay focused on two different questions because I think there's one bigger question about large scale systems, black water, you know, all of these things. I think the discrete question here, though, was how do we replace the jobs that plumbers and pipe fitters are going to lose, which is estimated in most cities who have done this analysis. And of course, we need to do our own. The average is about 20% reduction in job demand is sort of the number that, so it's nothing, it's not insignificant, the amount of potential job impact for these folks when these ordinances come into effect. And I know none of us want to see the ordinance processes slow down. So it could be a myriad of things. It could be embarking on public funding to go out and do you know, just simple like in-home replacements of faucets and, you know, making sure that things are okay. I mean, it doesn't need to be the entire package. I think I'd like to see the entire package. And I think a lot of the points my colleagues brought up are important points to answer. I don't know how much, though, it makes sense. Like, and this is why I keep cautioning against the San Francisco model, because their systems and finances are just set up so differently than ours that I think it'd be hard to draw comparisons. We're going to kind of need to start from scratch on a lot of this stuff. And I do want us to see move that forward. But the primary objective in the resolution that we adopted was a just transition strategy for the workers impacted by the electrification ordinance. And so that might not be the full scale thing. We might say in the stakeholder meeting, that's going to take years. That's going to take a whole bunch of pilots. That's going to take a whole bunch of work and funding. And we aren't going to do that 
for years. We're going to work on it. But in the meantime, what are we going to do about these jobs right now? That's the question that we need to solve for. And that's something that I really want us to keep front and center in the near term. Like I would love for us to report back, as I said, within the next month or two, we need to answer that question. That was part of the direction from council. And I really hope that we can convene this group. I think the plumbers have ideas. I think other stakeholders are gonna have ideas about different strategies that we could try to deploy to create the type of job um, growth and compensation we're gonna need to help make sure that the plumbers aren't negatively impacted by this policy. So that's, I just want to make sure that I think we're starting to merge onto two different tracks here, one of which will take years, one of which I really hope we have at least some preliminary information for in the next couple of months so that we can make sure that moves forward on a parallel track to our electrification work. So I will just add that nuance into this. Okay. Um, if I may just add a comment, Jennifer Benema, sure. Climate Action Lead, thank you very much for the comments and the feedback. In regards to Councilmember Valenzuela, many of your great points, I just want to remind the committee that we have a number of efforts underway, including a very robust analysis of green jobs opportunities. And in fact, our team is preparing to report that back to the City Council. In the near term here today, our team was really focused on bringing a lot of the technical details that we know are critical to moving the water standards forward, but we appreciate the feedback and we'll be sure that in the subsequent report backs, we're helping to address both of those tracks in terms of the near term and the bigger picture jobs opportunities. Great. So let, let me see if I can get us to the next step. And, and you know, in a lot of ways, this is a little bit of a go slow to go fast. Uh, this is uh, doing this wrong will be incredibly expensive and it's not something we want to look at, but we, we do want to move the item as quickly as we can. Um, I am told that DGS did a dual plumbing system in their new building at 10th and O. So maybe that's something that, that you all can look at. Um, I think you've got a lot of direction from everyone. Uh, unlike many other times, the direction, I think all points in the same directions for the most part. Um, and there's a lot of things that I hope we have enough staff and capacity to do concurrently. Um, I don't think this needs to all be sequential. So Yvette and um, Matt, you, you have to wrestle with that one a little bit. What I'd like to do is ask you as, as Ms. Valenzuela was talking about to come back hopefully in a month um, after a few more stakeholder meetings and come back with a work plan that actually aligns with the discussion that we've been having. So look at the pieces and that allows this committee and the council to really prioritize uh, by looking at what you can do and along with that, what you need to make that happen. Is there additional outside consultants that you might need? Do you need more staff, which we know everyone needs more staff, but what are the priorities here? And, and that's what I feel like we haven't, we, we may have some different priorities on this committee, um, but I think looking at an overall work plan of what this would look like over the next, you know, six months, one year to get us to the next step, um, understanding that, again, we're, we're not San Francisco and there's some differences. We learn, we should take what we can learn off of it and move forward. Um, you know, if, if part of it is doing pilots, uh, great, let's do that. But if the committee's okay with that, I think that would answer a lot of our questions and, 
I, I might ask Yvette and Matt also to keep in touch uh, with, with uh, members of this committee about how that's progressing because we don't want you to get too far ahead or too far behind. I don't want to waste time on it. I want to be really efficient as we move forward. So I would, I would ask that we use that as direction, which embeds everything that we've heard uh, in the last 45 minutes. Ms. Valenzuela? Yeah, and to add to that, Chair, I mean, we are in the state capitol. We are surrounded by advocates and researchers and agency staff who are grappling with these same questions at the Capitol, the Energy Commission, at these different um, agencies. I think we could probably tap into a lot of expertise because I really do think Sacramento is in a great position to really lead on informing, like take the legislation, for example, that's going to be decided next month. Um, the building standards process is going on right now. Like there's a lot of folks who are looking for this input and they're looking to San Francisco because they're one of the only ones who've done this at a large scale. But I think Sacramento could really have an influence on that. And it could be something that could help us down the line as we continue to grapple with these questions. So I'd love to help with that um, conversation through my um, outside city consulting work and some of the relationships we have there and some of those conversations that are going on right now. Because um, I think there's a lot of good insight from other folks that could be helpful. Um, similar to San Francisco, we don't have to reinvent the wheel, but I do think we're unique in the capital city that I think a lot of folks who live here who work at these agencies would be very interested in helping us out. Okay. Uh, Yvette or Matt or Bill, are, are we good? Yep, uh, thank you for all that input. Um, we will, Matt and I and team will put our heads together, see what we can bring back, um, keep you guys all in the loop and do some more outreach to the stakeholders. Uh, we'll do our best and bring back, like you suggested, a, a work plan to try to address you know, the immediate needs and, and then long-term um, and see what we can, we can come up with. And we, we appreciate you thanking us for our input. I know we've made a lot more work for you. Um, but we are, as, as Katie said, we are the capital city and we want to lead on this. And this is important. And it's certainly about the job loss. And it, as Mr. Guerra said, it is also where we are on drought and, and being effective and efficient with our water usage over time. Uh, I don't think we can, we can undervalue what that would look like. Okay. So if you can work with, with my staff on scheduling um, and then... Uh, work with Ms. Valenzuela, Mr. Garrett, Mr. Harris, as, as you see fit. I think that would be really helpful. All right. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Great job. Really great job. Thank you. Um, all right. Uh, any comments by members of the committee on, on uh, items not on the, well, any public comment on items not on the agenda? Chair, you show no hands raised to make public comment from items not on the agenda. Okay. And any comments from members of the committee? Okay, seeing none, we'll see everybody at four o'clock. Have a good one. Thank you.